What problems did the leaders of late antique Ravenna face? Find out today on Footnoting History. Hello, this is Nicole, and welcome to the September 7th episode of Footnoting History. This morning, we'll be looking at the headaches that the leaders of Ravenna had to deal with from the people of their city. When many people think of society in late antiquity, they think of powerful secular and ecclesiastical rulers, mighty emperors and archbishops. During this period, which spans from the 3rd century to the 7th or even the 8th century, depending on which historian you ask, the Roman world was changing, and ecclesiastical leaders, bishops, were becoming increasingly important, while the emperor, now located in Constantinople, present-day Istanbul, still had ultimate authority. Although the Archbishop of Ravenna certainly was a powerful person within this northeastern Italian city, answering in theory only to the emperor's representative, the exarch, he had his fair share of problems with both the lay people of Ravenna and even his clergy. Likewise, the exarch, in theory the leader of all of Byzantine Italy, often had his hands full with the citizens of Ravenna. Ravenna was the capital of the province of Italy, still an integral part of the Roman Empire centered in the east, which historians call the Byzantine Empire to distinguish this phase from Rome's earlier imperial history. However, its citizens had their own local and regional concerns, which they often cared about more than official imperial policy. During the reign of Justinian II, after the exarch arrested in Ravenna members of a plot to kill the Pope, the remaining conspirators rebelled and killed him. Towards the end of Justinian's second reign, 705-711, to the Archbishop of Ravenna and others in both Ravenna and Rome appear to have been plotting against Pope Constantine, who in 710-711 managed to reach a compromise with the emperor over doctrinal issues. This situation shows that even if the power of the emperors was not absolute. After the Pope met with the exarch in Naples on his way to Constantinople in 710 and those implicated in the plot in Rome had been arrested, the conspirators remaining in Ravenna rebelled and killed the exarch, John Rosacopus, on his return to the city. The Emperor Justinian sent a fleet from Sicily to reassert control, and had the rebels, which included the Archbishop of Ravenna, Felix, sent to Constantinople. Felix himself was blinded for his role in the rebellion. The reason for all this strife? At the close of the 7th century, Ravenna was increasingly at odds with Constantinople as the military's regional agenda, which saw the Pope as its leader, clashed with that of the foreign Byzantine emperors and their representative, the Exarch, the leader not only of the city of Ravenna, but all of, of Byzantine Italy. The military, which had not been an aristocratic class before, but was fashioning itself into one in this period, played a major role in historical change in 7th and 8th century Italy. This is the most extreme example of resistance to the rulers of the city, but disputes involving the Archbishop of Ravenna show not only opposition to the city's leaders, but also the avenues open to citizens to obtain favorable results in disputes. Now in the 7th and 8th centuries, imperial authorities, either in the person of the emperor himself at Constantinople, or as representative of the exarch in Ravenna, mediated disputes involving the archbishops of Ravenna. Since the archbishops did not want to place themselves under Roman authority by appealing to the popes to settle disputes, and because both the archbishops and the popes professed allegiance to the empire, the exarchs and emperors were ideal arbitrators. Angelus of Ravenna, our main narrative source for the city in this period, discusses two incidents in which the exarch interceded in disputes involving the archbishop. 
The first occurred due to a conflict between Archbishop Theodore, Archbishop between 677 and 691, and his clergy. When the clergy of Ravenna turned against Theodore, they stated that they would take their case against him to the papacy, and that if the Pope would not judge for them, they would go to the emperor in Constantinople in order to get a new archbishop. Upon hearing this, the archbishop went to the palace to see the exarch and asked him to intervene with the clergy. Then the exarch sent noblemen to the clergy with the message that he would restore their former privileges. But they refused his offer, stating that if they went to see the emperor, they would complain not only about the archbishop, but also about the exarch, since he was not willing to correct the archbishop. After hearing the clergy's reply, the archbishop asked the exarch to intervene personally on his behalf. And thus the exarch, according to Agnellus, quote, ordered trappings to be placed on his horse, he mounted it, he came to the said tomb of the martyr, and calling everyone to him, he poured out soothing and pacifying words, and he brought them back with him, promising to amend all things. This appeased the clergy, who then celebrated Mass and Vespers with the archbishop. The next day an ecclesiastical trial was held at the Episcopal Palace, attended by the exarch, the archbishop, and all of the clergy. After deliberation, the archbishop was convicted, the clergy's former privileges were restored, and the wealth of the see was reallotted, which appears to mean that lands which were in dispute, and that the archbishop had been claiming as his own, were given to various monasteries. Although the exarch had successfully reconciled the archbishop and his clergy, the archbishop wanted to endow family members with church property, which he could no longer do since the land had been reallotted. Since he probably would not get a more favorable agreement from the exarch, who had interceded personally with the clergy already, Theodore turned to the Pope and submitted the Church of Ravenna to the authority of the Pope. Thus Theodore ended the privilege of autocephaly, or autonomy from Rome, which the Archbishops of Ravenna had obtained from Emperor Constans in 666, in order to control the lands which he wanted to give to his family. For our main source, the Churchman Angelus, this was an unforgivable act. This example shows the multiple opportunities which were available to the clergy, including the archbishop, for the mediation of disputes. The clergy threatened to go first to the pope and then to the emperor, and thus the archbishop appealed to the exarch, who first sent lay noblemen and then interceded personally, in order to obtain a quick and favorable result. For the archbishop, petitioning the exarch had the benefit of offering a fast resolution, which was important in this case because the clergy refused to participate in ecclesiastical rites with him. Additionally, it allowed him to appeal to an authority that both Rome and Ravenna acknowledged and were subordinate to, which let the archbishop sidestep the issue of papal authority over Ravenna entirely. However, ultimately, due to his desire to have stronger control over the land and his see, Theodore did turn to the Pope, for which he is vilified by Agnellus. Although in the end they didn't obtain the results that they wanted, this example shows the bargaining power of the clergy. First, they refused to do their jobs with the archbishop and then they threatened to go over his head and straight to the Pope to force him to reach an agreement. They even rebuffed the exarch's first attempt at a solution and threatened to go over his head to the Emperor himself. Finally, when the Archbishop didn't get his way with the exarch, he went and did what the clergy initially threatened to do, thus ignoring the decision of the exarch. As this and the following example show, although the exarchs and archbishops had a great deal of authority in late antiquity, it was never absolute. The second example of an exarch interceding involves a conflict between Archbishop John V, Archbishop between 726 and 744, and the citizens of Ravenna, who had driven him into exile in Venetia. Think about that for a minute. The citizens of Ravenna drove their archbishop into exile. 
After John had been in exile for a year, the secretary, Epiphanius, went to the exarch, who recalled John to his scene. After John was restored, the secretary urged him to go to the exarch's palace and offer him some silver, so that he might bring to justice those had, that drove John into exile, which John did. The troublemakers were brought to trial and convicted and made to pay a fine, which was given to the exarch. As in the previous example, the exarch intervened on the archbishop's behalf and arranged a trial, this time in exchange for a gift. Once again, the exarch re-established order, and this time the archbishop got his way. But remember, the citizens of Ravenna drove him into exile for a full year, and until he went and gave the exarch a little gift, it wasn't certain that they would have faced any repercussions. All of this shows that although society was very hierarchical and its leaders wielded tons of authority, bolstered by tradition and ideologies of rule, they never managed to rule as autocrats and could be challenged, and in extreme cases driven out of their cities or even killed. Does this mean that the people of Byzantine Ravenna had what we consider political power? From a modern perspective, their political role may not seem that significant, but it is important to remember that they were important actors and agents of change in late antiquity. Ultimately, in a world with outstanding police forces and other security agencies, both secular and ecclesiastical rulers needed the consent of their subjects to govern effectively, and therefore the people had more power in late antiquity than is often thought. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find further reading suggestions related to this week's podcast. You can also like us on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter, The History Footnote. Join us next week when we'll be talking about the history of the Habsburg Chin. Until then, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week.